We have a really fun and edifying episode to finish off the year today on Let Me Be Frank. Uh, His Excellency is going to tell us stories of saints you may not have heard of from the book In Cello et in Terra. So let's get to it. We are on the radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can download the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad, the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. And uh, preparing for New Year's in between Christmas and New Year's, how was your Christmas? Uh, wonderful. Yes, yeah. as always, you know, restful and quiet this year. Um, so Mine we, too. Yeah. Mine too. What did you do? We decided to just, uh, um, you know, we've got a lot of extended family who we love and adore, but this year we decided just to kind of regroup as a unit of us five and just kind of recharge as a, as a, as a small. Oh, how nice family. is that? Yeah. It was good. You see, you know, it's funny you should say that because, you know, this, uh, as I said to you before we started taping, this has been crazy. The last few the weeks have been just absolutely crazy, busy. Yeah. And they're all like big events and dinners. Lovely. It's all lovely. But when you gather together with just a few people, isn't it great? Yeah, it's definitely different. And uh, it was it was good for us, for the, the oh. Lees. How about you, Excellency? Yeah, well, I was with my family, and I mm-hmm. cooked, and mm-hmm. I think I did a decent job myself and Whole Foods <laughs> did a great job. Everyone's and, still alive. <laughs> yeah, everybody's still alive, thank God. Well, to my knowledge, I have to, <laughs> And Christmas Eve, I was at my sister's, and we had that mixture of the Italian and Dominican Christmas Eve, yes. which is a unique combo. Yep. And then I celebrate Mass at 8.30 in the morning at the cathedral at Christmas morning. Which I love that mass because it's a it's a small congregation. It's quiet again, and it's what yes. a beautiful way to celebrate Christmas. Yes. So, and then the week between Christmas, like this week, is basically quiet for me. Yeah, because uh, not much is going on, and it really means that I could catch up with. I, I I can name you at least nine projects that have to get done. That's what I was going to say. Quiet for you means you're actually catching up on work. <laughs> yeah, but it's quiet. I do it yes. when I want. I could do it in my pajamas. I could do it <laughs> as long as I celebrate mass every morning and say my, my prayers. Then the rest of the day, I structure the way I want. My niece is celebrating her 10th anniversary wedding. Oh. So there's a dinner being hosted, which is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, to her. 10 years. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I remember when my niece was born. Oh my goodness. I just, I don't want to go into like my psychotic problems here, but I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. But there's a great sense of satisfaction too, right? Of joy yeah. seeing everybody in, you know, in happy conditions. It is. That's all part of Christmas. Okay. So now what are we talking about today? So, well, uh, I, first of all, I guess I'll say that, um, you know, we had a lot of guests on this fall and early this winter. And I really love having guests on because it's so great to hear other perspectives and learn a lot from them. But I really appreciate being able to hear directly from you and and talk to you. And um, that's a real treat for me. And I know for a lot of our listeners as well. Well, thank you. And I feel the same way. Uh, How do you feel about the World Cup, by the way? Oh, my goodness. We spoke about the World Cup. What do you think? So, yeah. So it's been a while now, but it's still on my mind. Um, But... uh, I actually got a text from our producer who said um, that he doesn't he doesn't uh, believe I'm a true prophet. I got some <laughs> stuff right. I got some stuff wrong. I thought it was going to be epic. It was epic, mm-hmm. Excellency. Mm-hmm. Did you you didn't have, have no, a chance to watch it? Right? No, no, no. I was with I was at mass. I had the installation of Father Wolf and a few other things going on. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was. Uh, a lot of people are saying it's the greatest World Cup final they'd ever seen. It was certainly one of the greatest soccer matches I've ever seen. So it was mm-hmm. epic. Mm-hmm. It was That's high scoring. Yeah, it I was I high heard. scoring like I thought. 
Yes, yes. So you're a, a semi-prophet. Right. But I thought <laughs> France would win. And uh, so um, they, you're, that's a big fail. No there's offense. a big, that's a big, that's the big one. So like you fail on that, you fail the, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, um, just for penalty kicks in the end, it really is. It's, I mean, it is skill, but it's also, I mean, beyond your control. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's amazing though, but it's amazing yeah. how, how professional and how skilled they all are. Right. Right. And the pressure. Yeah. The mental aspect. Oh yeah, you, I mean, how many people are watching? Hundreds of millions. Yeah, yes. right. Yes, right. No, I, I heard that actually four billion people watched it worldwide. You're kidding. So half the world. Wow, that that wow, that's a little scary. I mean, <laughs> I think soccer is important, but like the mysteries of faith are more important. You're not even the Pope won't get four billion people watching. But it's a shame. It is what it is. Yep. Okay. Yep. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, so uh, we're we're gonna dive into a bunch of um, lesser known saints. Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because at the at this time last year, I think it was towards the middle of December of last year, I received a book from the daughters of Saint Paul, Pauline Books and Media, that is called In Cielo et in Terra. In Cielo et in Terra. And what it is, is a book that highlights the life of saints, one saint each day. Hmm. And it is a fairly large book. So it's not your typical size book. And so it is, the print is large, which is good for me. And it's, there are saints here that are very well known. There are saints that are not well known. Sometimes they appear on the day when they're remembered by the church. Other times they appear in other days, right? And some of these saints, well, some of them I had never heard, saints and blessed, I had never heard of, to be very honest. Mm -hmm. But also their lives are quite interesting. So I thought to myself, as we kind of wrap up the year, right? We're aiming for, please God, to get to a new year. The resolution, once again, is to strive for personal holiness in a deeper way. One day we want to be saints. One day somebody wants to write, a, hopefully will be one of these pages. Who knows, right? Right. It, uh, it, it's kind of inspirational to see some of this. And you see the diversity, right, of geography. You yeah. see the diversity of time. You see the diversity of vocations, priests, religious, lay people. There's a lot of concentration in the 20th century, and a lot of those who are being blessed or declared saints in the 20th century, a good amount of them are lay people, which is, which is a sign of how the church is opening its eyes in the examination of lives to broaden out beyond more than priests. Because, I mean, there have been saints among the laity from the beginning, but... In order to put a cause forward, you need a postulate, you need the process, you need the bishop. So the congregations and diocesan bishops, you know, moving forward causes for priests has always been traditionally the easier path because you have the structure. But now people open their eyes and say, well, no, sanctity is everywhere. Hmm. And a lot more lay people are coming forward. It's just tremendous, right? Yeah, yeah. It's tremendous. Okay, so... Um, some of the saints that really struck me. So I am taking all of this from this book, In Cielo and In Terra. I recommend, you know, it's post-Christmas, but it's not too late for New Year's. I presume you could buy it on Amazon. This is a tremendous way to start the new year. Okay. It really is. Right. right? We'll, we'll put it in the show notes too, so people can link yeah. to it easily. Yeah. Okay. So the first one that struck me was featured on the 14th of January, right, in their book. It's called Blessed Peter Donders, D-O-N-D-E-R-S. Have you ever heard of Peter Donders? No. Okay. So he is on the, he's lived in the 19th century. His feast is actually January 14th. And he is the patron, get this, of those rejected by religious orders and factory <laughs> workers. Okay. Huh, right. interesting. Because, all right. So he's Dutch. He's born in Holland. And because his family was extremely poor, he received very little schooling. So he had a bare education. So he did farm work and factory work. That's the connection to factories to support his family. He wanted to become a priest, 
Of course, he didn't have the education. Some priests locally saw the holiness in him, supported him. He did enter the seminary at 22, and after an awful lot of work, was ordained a priest. But this is what's interesting about him. He traveled to South America, right, to Suriname as a missionary. And when he arrived and he saw the appalling conditions of the people who were there, he volunteered to serve in a leper colony. Can you imagine serving among those who the rest of the world ostracized? So they were the poor and then the lepers were the poorest of the poor. The Redemptors came in the middle of the 19th century and took over the mission. Peter had always wanted to be religious, applied to be that, right? Was denied. God's providence inspired him to do it again. He asked it. And finally, after he persevered, 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 they allowed him to take vows. And what he did was he spent the rest of his life in mission, catechizing, serving the poor. And as his health was failing, Rather than go back to Holland, he went back to the leper colony, and wow. that's where he died. Wow! Right? Did did he die of leprosy? Do you know, Excellency? Or um, it just said that here it, he just he died. That it does not say. Okay. But he lived to be uh, seventy-eight years old. Wow! So he lived his entire life in service in the missions. Amazing! Right? Isn't that amazing? Amazing, right? So that's one. A second one that struck me, which some some people may or may not know, (coughs) is St. Vincent of Saragossa. Do you know St. Vincent? I don't. He sounds Italian. No, he's Spanish. Ah, okay. Right? In the fourth century. And again, his feast date is January 22nd. And he is the patron saint of vine dressers, vinegar makers, and winemakers. Oh my gosh. The third one is my type of saint. Yes. That's exactly. why he's 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 definitely risen in, in my uh, in my estimation. Well, I don't even know what a vine dresser is the, yeah. for that first one. Yeah. Well, uh, the dresser of vines, you know, you take care of the vines. He lived oh, okay. in the he lived at the very beginning of the fourth century. He really actually lived in the third and fourth century. So he died in 304, which okay. means that he was alive during the persecutions of Christians. Christianity was not legal yet, all right? right? So he lived in that. And that factors very much into his life, right? So he was a deacon, right? And he served, all right, Bishop Valerius. And Valerius took a great liking to him because he trusted him, he saw he was holy, so he was faithful, gave him many responsibilities. Okay, when Diocletian, the lunatic emperor mm-hmm. who uh, oppressed the church and tried to eradicate the church, okay, both Vincent and Bishop Valerius were brought for, before the governor of Spain. Right? And because the bishop had a speech impediment, now imagine this, had a speech impediment, Vincent did all the speaking to defend the faith and defend his bishop. And even though the original thought was to exile Vincent and put to death the bishop, because he was such a remarkable preacher and defender of the faith, the penalty was reversed. So the bishop went into exile and he was was put to death in place of his bishop, whom he loved and served so much, right? And how they put him to death was just horrible, right? According to what's listed here in the book, they literally roasted him alive like St. Lawrence. And they threw him in a dungeon because they'd stopped it before he was dead so that he would die a slow and painful death in the oh dungeon. Oh, my gosh. I mean, who, who, who makes up stuff like this, tortures like this? It's unbelievable, right? But, but the best, the best is even more. As he's in his dungeon, agony, he's preaching the faith. And he preaches the faith so powerfully, he converts his jailer to oh, Christian my faith. Word. Right? And it's his jailer who gives testimony after Vincent's death of how he died, it really martyrdom, and how he remained faithful to the very end. Wow. Wow. Right? The pain and, he must have been in, and he's still. Right. Wow. right. So he's, he's never a priest. A deacon, 
He understood the relationship he had with the bishop. He understood that his life was a life to be given in service to the church and in charity. And even enduring so much torture to remain faithful to Christ. I mean, I asked myself the question, what would I do if I was being roasted alive? And every, everybody who's listening to us today, I mean, honestly, I know there are Christians in the world today who are suffering deeply, mightily, physical torture, imprisonment today, right now, because of their faith. That's not happening in the United States, but we are being in some way persecuted in the yeah. public square and social media. So what price are we gonna pay? Yeah. A person like St. Vincent really has you, forces you to think, right? Right, yep. And, and almost a, um, I, I'm afraid that of, of that my reaction would be one of anger and like, this is unjust. You can't do this to me instead of acceptance and saying, okay, I'm here. Now, what can I do to continue to serve? We without a doubt. I mean, I, I, again, not to make this public confession, but I think uh, there would be so much anger in me at what was being done. And not even so much because it was done to me, but it was just allowed to be done by, by so many people. I could imagine Vincent of Valerius, how many people they saw being put to death, how many of their friends and families have been put to death, yeah. right? But what do you do with the anger, right? So if you, you seek a vengeance, you're no better than they are. But that's the natural human reaction, right? Yes, Right, right. So we can't rely on ourselves. It, it's, that jailer story reminds me of, you know, Maximilian Kolbe, one of his guards converted. Exactly. Right, exactly. And, and didn't, wasn't one, one time when Peter was in prison, didn't one of his guards come and was converted and asked him to baptize his family? I can't remember exactly. You mean in the scriptures? Yes, Yes, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So mm -hmm. it's that's. Mm -hmm. So this well, is because Saint... you're the real deal at that point. Yeah. You're right. the real deal. If you if you're still remaining faithful when you have all of this persecution and pain and torture and suffering and you don't give in, you remain faithful. It's the real deal. Even the deaf, dumb, and blind have to see it. It's the real deal. Yeah. I mean, Right. When it comes to the secular world, you can't avoid it. And then you have to ask yourself the question. This person's either absolutely a lunatic, but he seems cogent. He seems reasonable. He's preaching the faith or there's something really going on here. Yeah. Right. It's amazing. So that's yeah. Vincent of Saragossa. Yep. Yep. Now we're going to keep the theme of leprosy because this saint you must know. Because uh, she's an American saint, Mary Ann Cope. Yes. Okay. So, tell, what do you do? You know anything? Can you recall anything? So, I don't know a lot about her. I know I, I'm pretty sure she was um, a religious sister, mm -hmm. and she went to um, Molokai with uh, following Correct. Damien, right? Correct. She was born in Germany originally, but she immigrated to, of all places, Utica, New York. Oh. <laughs> a saint out of New York. What an interesting concept. <laughs> <laughs> because I pray one day I'll be one, but one never knows. <laughs> we got to pray for mercy. Anyway, so um, so they came to, 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 to New York. And the interesting thing is that her original last name was K-O-O-B. And her father, when they immigrated, changed the name to C-O-P-E. And I think it was to make it more acceptable to, you know, to American, large American society. And sure. we can't forget, we can't forget that the immigrants, the European immigrants, when they came to the United States, started with the Irish and Germans and working their way to the Italians, and then now Hispanics from all around the world, have always met with discrimination. So names were changed. Even on Ellis Island, if you go to Ellis Island, many an Italian name was changed to right. try to avoid the, the, the persecution, right? Anyway, so she also got a factory job to support her family. But deep down inside, she had always wanted to serve the church as a religious sister. And she finally entered the Sisters of St. Francis in Syracuse, New York. And she took the name Sister Marianne. So that is why she's known as Marianne Cole. Uh -huh. She established two hospitals in New York. And then just like you said, after she had been elected to provincial, 
a priest wrote to her on behalf of the Hawaiian king and queen and asked for help with people with leprosy. And that is why she went. So she went on the invitation of, of, the, of the Hawaiian royal house. And she did. And she served there, right? She particularly served the, the women and girls who had leprosy versus, right, um, those who would have served only the men. Mm, okay. Right? And um, she met a, a St. Damien, right, who spent his entire life caring for the lepers. Um, and then eventually she died. And I must confess, the one thing I don't know, because it's not listed here, and I don't remember where she is buried, if she is buried in New York or not. I meant to look that up, and I didn't before we started the recording. But either way, now she's she is canonized, right? Yeah. Which is a tremendous, right? But once again, poverty, fidelity, missionary zeal. And she lived from 1838 to 1918. She died just as the World War I was ending. Oh, wow. Right? Wow. She's also the patron saint now of those who have HIV AIDS. Okay. Same idea. Because yes. they're kind of like the modern leopards when it first occurred. Right? Okay. Wait, to think even in the 1800s to make the journey from Utica to Hawaii. Well, first from Germany to Utica, well, then yes. Utica to Hawaii. <laughs> yes. That would right? have been, I mean, the journey itself would have been difficult. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Plus, I mean, the Hawaiian royal house. Well, see, we forget that Hawaii was a kingdom, right? Well before yeah. it was a state. Yeah. And, of course, um, to just go into what ultimately would have been absolute authority of this family. I mean, you're basically surrendering your, yourself to whatever could happen. There's no one's going to no, – no militia or brigade is going to come, you know, get you out at those – and, again – we consider our own lives and how you have to surrender to Christ. And you, you think to yourself, how, how it's only grace and a life of profound prayer that allows you just to say, whatever happens, happens. I'm going to do this for Christ. Yes. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Can we, we, we'll do one more. Yes. Yeah. Before break? Yeah, okay. definitely. Now this saint has become extremely popular. Many of our listeners probably know of her, but I want to highlight her because she is a tremendous inspiration, particularly in an age where there is so much discrimination and where human trafficking has become such a problem that most governments refuse to admit, refuse to look at, refuse to do anything about. But you know what I'm talking about, St. Josephine Bakita. Yes. So now we are in Sudan or what is now the South Sudan, since Sudan has broken into two countries. She lived from 1869 to 1947. Oh. <laughs> so she died two years after the end of, after the end of World War II. So, it, I mean, we're talking about a mid 20th century, almost contemporary, right? So as a young child, Bakita was kidnapped, right? From her village in the Sudan. And she was slow, sold into slavery. Let's stop for a second. So we're talking something that happened 70 years ago. And not to give a homily and not to preach, although it's in my DNA. 70 years later, that is still happening today. Yeah. I mean, we talked about that. You know, the, the FBI and the NSA, they... they claim that they have evidence that there are tractor trailers on I-95 in the corridor between Washington and Boston trafficking people every single day. And most of them are young women. Yep. I mean, what, it, it just astonishes me. That's why her life is so extraordinarily important. All right. So she was so traumatized that she lost all her memory. Hmm. of her family name. So this account in the book here says she was known by, by her kidnapper's nickname for her, Bakita, which means the fortunate one. But we don't know what her real family name was. Huh. So she had several captors who abused her. She was finally sold to an Italian council 
and moved to Italy. And that began her journey to freedom. And that began her journey to Catholic faith. Right? She became the governess of this family. And they treated her with respect. They educated her, introduced her to the faith. And after great suffering, she developed this great sense of awe, of the majesty of creation, hmm. which introduced her to embrace Christian faith and Christian discipleship. Right? So she was baptized at the age of 21. That's when she took the name Josephine. Right? And she was granted freedom under Italian law, even though the actual family that was good to her had protested her freedom. But the hmm. Italian government gave her freedom and she discerned a religious goal to become a sister. And she lived the next 50 years, basically, with a life of simplicity and mercy and compassion. Yeah. What a remarkable story again. It's amazing. So what I, I wondered to myself, like when I was met, her, her, her feast day is February 8th on the calendar. And it is on the, the calendar of the church, the universal calendar. I wondered to myself, so this is an image, this is a woman of courage and strength, in part because she was forgiving and compassionate. So now the great mystery that Saint Bakita tells us, the fortunate one reminds us, is healing can happen, freedom can happen without forgiveness, right? And without love, it's just, yeah. it can't happen because the yes. missing ingredient is not there. We talked about that. She's the living example of that. So I raise her up and I pray for her intercession to end the very evil that caused her so much pain yeah. and suffering, right? When is enough going to be enough in our modern world? We have to pray for intercession. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, um, uh, I love Josephine Bikita. And I, I, I love that she, uh, when she would talk about her story, her life story, she would thank her kidnappers. Because Could you she imagine? Said that I know. Could you could you imagine? But the reason is the reason is because she said if it hadn't been for them, she never would have come to know Jesus Christ. Even with all of the brutality that she suffered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if you mm -hmm. go into the Museum of the Bible Excellency in Washington, mm -hmm. DC, which is mm -hmm. not Catholic, but a great museum, you walk in and you go down this long have you ever been there actually? No, okay. I have not, to be honest. It's great. You walk in and then you go through the, the, the huge entryway. And as you're entering the actual museum part of the museum, if you turn around and look back and up, there's a huge portrait of Josephine Bikita. In really? This, yeah. And it's not a Catholic place, but it's there. I mean, it's pretty cool. Wow. Well, well uh, so now, again, this, it's, it's the end of the year. So I could give a little homilies. What the heck? So she went through huge suffering and torture to be introduced to the Catholic faith. Most of us had it handed to us on a golden platter. Mm. And what have we done with it? Right? How deep has it permeated my life or your life? Right. And I would love to tell you 100%, but I'd be lying if I told you 100%. If it was 100%, I wouldn't be the sinner that I am. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, again, it's, it's familiarity breeds contempt sometimes. And the people who convert to the faith or suffer for the faith are purified by the faith. And the rest of us, I'm not suggesting we seek suffering, but we do have to meditate on the lives of these people because they, they give us a great holy reproach. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, uh, let's continue with more of these stories when we come back. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. You're listening to Bishop Frank Caggiano, and we'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they 
they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, this is fun, Excellency. So do you, ha- yeah. you have more saint stories for us. Oh, we-, we, got, uh, we got 300 more if you want. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> but the next one I was introduced to when I went to the parish of St. Joseph, St. Ladislaus, about maybe a year, more than a year ago, um, because they have a magnificent chapel and a shrine in the church and in the chapel to St. Jose Sanchez del Rio. Do you know? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah, he's awesome. So tell me what you know. And I'll fill in the details if there are any details to be filled in. Okay. So uh, he was um, a young boy mm-hmm. um, in Mexico during the Cristeros War. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he desperately wanted to fight, but he was too small. But he uh, joined and he did everything he could from running errands to um, everything, taking care of the horses. And he ended up being um, like an assistant to the general, I think. Yeah, he was the flag bearer. Oh, wow. So when they oh, went wow. into battle, he was the one who held the flag. Isn't that neat? 14 Amazing. years old. 14 yeah. years old. Keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, was, he displayed a ton of heroism, if I remember, on the battlefield, actually, mm-hmm. and, um, and ended up getting captured. Mm-hmm. And then the story of his capture and martyrdom at the hands, actually, of his uncle, I think, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. just... Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll yeah. let you tell that story, Excellency. That's- yeah, well, well, so to your point, everything you said beautifully, he had huge, huge, deep personal devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. And the entire Mexican persecution of the church was an attempt to eradicate the faith and also eradicate any mention or memory of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Now, as a young boy, the passion that burned in, in Joselito, as they call him, right? St. Joselito's heart was so profound and so deep that he wanted to join the movement, became the flag bearer. A few months he was captured, right? They threatened him with death if he didn't renounce his faith. And he told them he would be ready to die for his faith rather than renounce the Lord Jesus. So intimidated him, intimidated him, intimidated him. And of course he's 14 years old. I mean, it's not all that hard to intimidate the average 14 year old, Yeah. right? Yeah. And he absolutely refused. So what they did was they flayed his feet, which means they cut open his feet, literally took a lot of the skin off and had him walk on salt and then walk through the town barefoot. Okay, let's just stop there. Most people I know would would pass out. Most people would, right? Yeah, a 30-year-old, let alone a 14-year-old. Oh, yeah, and 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 they're mocking him as they walk through the town, and they walk him all the way to the edge of his grave, and they say to him, they would let him go free if he denounced Christ, and he refused, and he said the very famous slogan, right, and which is, do you remember, v- Viva Cristo Rey, right, long live Christ the King, and they executed him on the spot yeah. and buried him in the grave he was staring at. 14 years old. I mean, I, 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 words escape me, to be very honest. 
as she talk about the depth of, of faith. And this is not hysteria. This is not, you know, uh, some sort of psychological condition. This is at 14 years old, at any age. It's not. Yes. This, is, this is authentic, deep faith. So once again, I read this. His feast date is February 10th. Right? He's the patron saint of children, adolescents, and persecuted Christians. Okay, so I read this, and, and I say to myself, once again, through the intercession of Our Lady, or love for Our Lady, the little ones teach the big ones what it means to be a Christian. Just as in the apparitions, in many of them, it's little ones that Our Lady chooses. So if anybody's interested, at St. Joseph's Church, in, in Norwalk, there is when you come into the church, as you walk in on the right hand side against the wall that faces the altar. So it's the wall that is uh, adjacent, not adjacent, but opposite the altar. So the back wall of the church, mm -hmm. there is a beautiful statue of St. Joselito in this mural that depicts, you know, the age this without the story I just told. It's absolutely beautiful. It's worth going to St. Joseph just to see it. Oh, wow. And the people have huge devotion to St. Rosalita. Huge. He's, I told his story to um, a, a, gr a group of uh, eighth grade boys who I was teaching confirmation last year. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, he was the, one of the only things they remembered from the whole year, but his story, because they could oh, yeah. relate. Oh, yeah. You see, see, in a sense why I think this exercise is, is a very good one to end the year. And quite frankly, this book, I would highly recommend for everybody to just buy it, to read each page. Honestly, it could take five, four minutes, five minutes tops. But the stories sometimes speak far more profoundly than reading the catechism. No offense to the catechism, right? The catechism is the compendium of our faith. We should know it. We should read it. We should obviously believe it. But sometimes it's just like a, like Joselito. You say to yourself, my gosh, it just gives you so much to reflect on. Yeah. Right? And there's 265 of them. Yeah. <laughs> if I could just recommend Excellency, there is an excellent movie that is about the Cristeros War, but specifically about Jose Sanchez del Rio. It's called mm -hmm. For Greater Glory. It is really, really good. Oh, really? Yes. For greater yeah. glory. Where could you get it, I guess? Uh, you could probably get it on uh, Netflix, you think Netflix or Prime. Or, yeah, yeah, at least on Amazon Prime or even okay. in the library if you wanted to rent the DVD. I'm sure you could borrow it, but okay. it's great. For greater glory. Wow. Wow. Amazing. Okay. All right. Uh, one, a, a few more. Yes? Yes, please. Let's go to Germany. A country I've never visited, by the way. Hmm. It's one of the few countries in Europe I've not been to. Please, God, before I die, I could go, if God wills. If not, from heaven, please, God, we'll take a look <laughs> at it. All right, and the person is, his name is Blessed Nicholas Gross. Grouse. I guess it's G-R-O-S-S. -S. It's either Gross or Grouse. I okay. guess it's Grouse. It's Grouse. What struck me about him, of course, he was born in Germany. He was the son of a blacksmith, and his profession was a coal mine. He was a coal miner. Huh. Right? He worked long hours in the mine. Could you imagine what that work was like? To this day, talk about hard work. It's probably at the top of the list. Yeah. He pursued higher education, married his wife, Elizabeth. They had seven children. He was a devoted father, wonderful husband, raised all his children in the Catholic faith. Now. What happened in this man's life? In 1919, so at that point, he was 21 years old. He joined what was called at the time the St. Anthony's Miners Association, which was the major Catholic union for German miners. Hmm. And he eventually went, went through the ranks and what he became was the editor of their newspaper. Now, Nicholas used that newspaper to teach Catholic social teaching and to teach Catholic workers religious, all right, um, the, the religious beliefs we have and their rights as workers under that social teaching. Okay. Then Nazism came. And when the Nazi regime came, they banned the newspaper in 1938. 
And according to this account, he still continued to publish Catholic workers' pamphlets, right, to encourage them in the faith, right? In 1940, the Nazis interrogated him, searched his home, right, but let him go. However, years later, in all of his effort to communicate the Catholic faith and rally the miners and try to be of assistance to hold them together, he learned about a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler in 1944 in July, but he did not participate in it. He just learned of it, but they found out he was arrested, okay? He was tortured and he he was visited by his wife. His wife tells the account that he just asked his wife one, one thing. He asked his wife to pray for him to persevere to the end. Wow. Right? And on the 23rd of January, 1945, he was hanged. Right? And then he was denied Christian burial. Right? He was cremated and his ashes was thrown over a sewer. By the oh Nazis. And John Paul, St. John Paul II, beatified him on the 7th of October, 2001. So the Nazis, in many ways, kind of the institutional face of evil in so many regards, tried to literally obliterate him. Now, they were obliterated. <laughs> and he was elevated to the ranks of the blessed by the successor of Peter. Because what did he do? He lived an ordinary life. He lived as a good father, good husband, raised his children faithfully. He loved his coworkers, supported them in the faith. There was no huge miracles. He was faithful every day. That's exactly the challenge for you and me, right? Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Remarkable. Uh, it's unbelievable, Excellency. You know, it's been observed that in truly dark times when evil is rampant, mm -hmm. um, it's in those times specifically that God raises up great saints. Mm -hmm. And it feels like World War II is a prime example. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Maximilian Kolbe, Edith Stein, Nicholas Grouse, a lot of a lot of people. <laughs> well, well, think about it though. Same thing in the early church. When the stakes become high, you have no tr mediocrity has no place. You, you can't hide behind mediocrity or lukewarmness or half-heartedness. Yeah. You either are in or out. Yeah. And as we move in the secular world towards something of a climax that may not, in the United States, cause us physical harm, nonetheless, the stakes are getting higher and higher, and there is no mediocre place to hide. You are either yes. in or out. And, it sh and, and again, from my perspective as a bishop, it's easy to say you're either in or out. The obligation of the leaders of the church is to help people to make a choice to remain in. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to simply say, okay, this is it, take it or leave it. It is, this is what it is, and I'm going to help you to get there, Right? We've talked about it many times. Yes. That's what he did. You see, Nicholas did that by the continuing the pamphlets and the communication. He was trying to rally them, support them, because he could have said, well, if you don't have the faith, tough luck. But yeah. that's not what he did. We have to do the same thing. Yeah. Yep. Right. The same thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. Let's go to another. All right. So this is, we're in Brazil now. Okay. All right. Uh, Saint Dulce Lopez Pontes. Have you heard? No. I guess I guess not. No. Okay. She was born at the end of World War One, 1914. She died in 1992. Oh, wow. So what is that? Thirty years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thirty years ago. Okay. Now listen to this. The first lesson. She was born Maria Rita. De Sousa Brito Lopez Pontes. What a name. God bless her. <laughs> it's very pretty. Yes. But she was in an upper middle class family in Brazil. Now, her conversion started when her aunt took her, when she was a child, to the poorest areas of her own city. 
and seeing the poverty and the pain so left a profound impact on Maria that it, it moved the entire compass of her life. Now I'm gonna stop there before we go into the rest of the story. We, we, we sometimes don't realize the profound impact we can have on children when we introduce them to those things in life which eventually they need to face. But if we do it with the eyes of faith and loving compassion, we can help build a bridge so that when they are old enough, they will not be frightened by it, but they will be able to respond to it. Yes. Yeah. One of the things you don't want to do in faith is shelter a child from all of the difficulties and problems of the world around us because they can't escape them. But as a child, you can help them by your own love and example and education to help them to understand what it is that we could do about it, right? So she's the perfect example of it. If that aunt did not take her on, we would not be having a St. Dolce Lopez bonus. Yes. Right? So, <laughs> so you imagine, imagine, you have teenagers, right? All right, imagine yes. that what she did as a teenager, she invited the poor and sick in the, into her home. <laughs> to care for them. Could you imagine the reaction of her parents? <laughs> right? But, 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 but presumably they allowed her to do it. So they, they themselves were faithful people. Yeah. Right? And so in 1933, so what was she? She was 19. She entered into religious life, the Missionary Sisters of the Immaculate Conception of the Mother of God, and she took her late mother's name, Dulce. And that's why she is known as Sister Dulce. So she founded the Christian Workers Movement. She founded the St. Francis Labor Union, the Labor Society of Bahia. Uh, she opened a school for working class children. She provided food and medicine for the poor. She sheltered them in abandoned homes. Uh, she, she began to care for people in her convent's chicken yard. Right? <laughs> She took a makeshift hospital and she converted a, an empty building into a makeshift hospital. Now it's the site of St. Anthony's Hospital to this day. I mean, you could go on and on and on. And she, <clears throat> she was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Wow. For all the good that she did. I mean, she was indefatigable. She just kept working and working. It's like Mother Carini. She just would not stop serving in so many different ways. And... Imagine, okay, she had for years had severe respiratory problems. And according to the account in this book, after a long hospitalization, and when John Paul II went to Brazil, he went to visit her. Oh, wow. Okay. Could you imagine? And she was canonized in 2019, and she was called in her lifetime, and even now, by those in Brazil, they call her the angel. Wow. So once again, you have a young girl who was set because of the privilege and wealth of her family to have a very comfortable, I could characterize, I'm not even sure what you would say, mm -hmm. mediocre, God knows what type of life. And one aunt takes her and the entire trajectory changes and look at the just enormous, work she did, but all that potential, which would never have been realized without that trip. So I ask, you look in the faces of our children, or even in our own faces, and you say, so what potential have I not realized? What is that which I could do that I have not done up to this point? Yes. And saints like Maria Rita, the angel, inspire us to ask that question. Isn't that yeah. remarkable? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We need to challenge the kids, not coddle them. That and ourselves. Right. And ourselves, right? That's, she is, I mean, and I, not that I know anything, but I've never heard of her. I think we need to know more about South American saints because South American oh, saints yeah. are awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, the martyrs, like the Ugandan martyrs, the Vietnamese martyrs, the Korean martyrs, mm -hmm. and, and we know them as the martyrs, but they each have stories and there's lots that is recorded yes. about their individual heroism. It's like the North American martyrs, right? Yeah. Right. And then you'll have the modern day saints in South America, Oceania, Africa, right? Asia and the Far East. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. And that's why I find this book to be very uh, inspiring because there are like, for example, I'm looking at June 29th and June 30th in this book. June 29th, of course, is St. Peter because it's the Feast of Peter and Paul, obviously. Mm -hmm. But June 30th is the other saint that I found fascinating, which is Tarsisius, Saint Tarsisius. Uh -huh. Do you know okay. about Saint Tarsisius? I don't. It sounds like a fun name to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's third century, third century, I guess, well, Italy, I suppose. I mean, well, it wasn't Italy then, but it was the Roman Empire. Okay. Okay. The only reason we know about this, this young man was this Pope Damasus, whose feast day we just celebrated not long ago, carved on his, uh, on his grave, his insignia, right? He's buried in the catacombs of St. Calixtus, which actually, as I said to you many times, is not far from my favorite restaurant in Rome, which is Chichilli Vitello, which is a whole other uh, <laughs> podcast we can talk about. Okay. So what was this young man? Interesting. Pope Francis has reinstituted the order of acolyte in the church. And we're beginning to try to understand the norms for formation and how one could be instituted. But in the ancient church, there were acolytes. And as an acolyte, you are basically the person in service to the Eucharist, the celebration of mass and the protection of the Eucharist. So, as a young man, his job as acolyte was to bring the Holy Eucharist to Christians who were imprisoned and awaiting martyrdom. So as he was walking one day along the Appia Way, he was met by a crowd of non-believers who stopped him. And suspecting that he was a Christian, the mob demand to see what he was carrying. Of course, he was carrying the Holy Eucharist. Hmm. Right. Tarsisius absolutely determined to save the Eucharist, right? Refused, absolutely refused. So the men encircled him and beat him to death. All the while, with stones and clubs, all the while wanting to get what he was carried. And the Roman martyrology, which relists his martyrdom, what happened is when they searched his body that was lifeless, lifeless the Blessed Sacrament was gone. Right. Wow. And the martyrology says it was gone because the consecrated host became part of his own body as he offered himself in sacrifice for Christ. Wow. Now, you know, the, the truth is people will say some of this is, is stylized, some of it is. The point is this young man had such great love for the Eucharist that he gave up his life for Christ, for the Blessed Sacrament. Okay, so now, again, a question for reflection. What would we do to protect the Blessed Sacrament? Would I intervene? Would I give defense? Would I lay down my life so that the Eucharist was not profanated or sacrilege or, or worse? He did, yeah. in, in a time when even being a Christian was a crime. Yeah. Imagine. But e even even for us, uh, how do we approach the Eucharist at Mass? Right. <coughs> right, exactly. And there was a time when it cost dearly to do this. So, again, Tarsisius is a great model for young people. In the Eucharistic revival, I believe he's highlighted one of his lives. His mm. life is one that was was highlighted. Oh, okay. So now, so it was highlighted in this book in June. So now there are like, oh my goodness gracious, there is so much going on here, right? But allow me. How much time do we have? Do we have time for uh, one more? We've got another more? minute. One minute. Woo! I'll give you two okay. minutes, Excellency. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm going to share. Today's the world. The, the saint that's highlighted for today is St. Marguerite de Uville. So we're in Canada. Okay. Okay. And she's the patron saint of widows, difficult marriages, and the death of young children. Now imagine this. Marguerite, she was born in Quebec, the eldest of six children. Seven years later, her father died, leaving the family very poor, and she married this man, Francois, 
when she was 21. Her mother-in-law made her life miserable. Miserable. Even worse, her husband, according to this account, was emotionally distanced, always away from home. He was involved in an illegal liquor trade, right? The couple had six children, four died in infancy, right? When she was pregnant with her sixth child, her husband got ill, he died, and he left her as a gift, a humongous debt to pay off because of all his gambling industry. So she ran a shop to pay off the debts and raise the children that were left to her. She would visit the poor in the hospital, beg for money, beg for money to bury criminals that were hanged, that were just left to rot. She would beg money to have them buried, right? And she began what is now called the Grey Nuns, the Congregation of the Grey Nuns, right? So every reason, miserable mother-in-law, a profligate, husband. He dies and leaves an enormous debt. Any one of those reasons could turn somebody against God and say, why did you do this to me? What? None of that happened for her. She devoted her entire life to those who were in need. Again, the poor, the lepers, the orphans, and all the rest. And she was beatified by John the 23rd in 1959, the year I was born. And he called her, imagine this, he called her the, the mother of universal charity. Wow. Mother in both wow. senses, right? Yeah. And again, and she died in 1771. So she was 70 years old. She basically lived through the 18th century. It's amazing. This amazing. The, the story of the, of our fellow Christians is utterly amazing to me. So I'm going to go pick it up, uh, and you're encouraging all our listeners to pick up Incello et Intera, yep. book from Pauline Press. Yeah, and it says the subtitle is 365 Days with the Saints. And you know what? To be honest, there are many books. Yeah. Because I have other books. I have two other books that every day gives you an account of the saints. I also have the one I'm reading now, which is the Fathers of the Church. So every time I do this, I do the Fathers, and they do an excerpt. And the interesting thing about the Fathers is if you read that book, what we struggle with, they struggled with. St. John Chrysostom gave a great homily of telling people to get to Mass on time. Not much has changed 16 centuries later. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so let's take our final break. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back after this break. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. All right, Excellency, a uh, very interesting question this week. I'll read it to you. Here it is. The Bible tells us we will know by the signs of the times that Christ's return is imminent. Are you seeing signs that tell you that Christ's return is imminent? If so, what are they? And what is the series of events that Catholics believe will make up the end times? All right. So I think I have two reactions. The first is there are, the the Lord himself speaks of the signs, right? And St. Paul does too. And how we are not to be taken in by those signs, uh, calamities, earthquakes, and all the rest. The truth is, I think it's a question that has a presumption. And that is, we want to read the signs because we want to be ready, right? For whenever the Lord comes. So my suggestion would be this, rather than worry about the signs, let us be ready all the time. Yes. Let's prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls, for we don't know, because in the end, even if the end of the world doesn't come, the end of my life is coming. And every day, it's one day closer. Yes. So if we are disposed in the state of grace and all the rest, then I don't think we have to worry too much about it because I'm not exactly sure in the end we would have an ability to say clearly these are the signs and perhaps they're here or not here. Yeah. Be like the 10 virgins who had oil in their lamp. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. All right, so if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. 
And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, this was fun. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. It was great to be with you. And thank you for this past year, my friends. It's great working with you. You're a tremendous blessing to me and to the whole, to our listeners, to the whole diocese. So thank you. Uh, I, I feel 10 times that way about you, Excellency. Would you please give yes, us your blessing? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all the blessings of this past year. For they have been many. For you are so generous. And as we await the coming of a new year, may your Holy Spirit bless us, our families, all those whom we know and love, all those whom we serve, that it may be a year of greater peace and unity for us all. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Happy Amen. New Year, my friend. Enjoy. Thanks, Excellency. Happy New Year. I'll see you Merry next Christmas. week. Merry Christmas.